Good morning, everyone. As you can tell, I am not Pastor John. Um, (laughs) I'm glad for you guys to be here this morning, and I I appreciate uh, your prayers this morning as well. Um, I got to be honest, I got really emotional during our last worship song. Because I know there's some people in here right now who have no joy. You don't have any joy coming in here this morning right now. You see the chaos of what's going on in our country and and the anticipation for the election. And and you're like, how can you have any joy? And then I get emotional and cry. I'm going to try not to cry. I get emotional because there was a time that I thought I could never find joy. There was a time that I never thought my heart could be restored. And then I gave my life to Jesus Christ. So if you're in here today, I I really encourage you, if you have no joy, you can't seem to find joy right now, I really ask that you have ears to hear and hearts that are open to receiving what God's word has to say today. Because we're going to be talking about how we can keep our joy. And it's not an artificial joy. It's not a technique that we're trying to give you to, to live a better life for yourself anyways. These are principal truths that we can hold on to for our life here so we can please Jesus Christ here on this earth and one day be in heaven with him, glorifying him. So with that, we have been going through this series called Joy in the Midst of Anything, where we've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse in the book of Philippians. And I encourage you on this. I know that a lot of you that are here at Quakertown, this is your home campus. Uh, But I would encourage you, if you can, going to our YouTube page or on our app to listen to the speakers over at our Pennsburg campus as well, because you get a full range of uh, what is being taught as we go through the book of Philippians. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be uh, a partner for the gospel message, what it means to have healthy relationships, what it means to be unified in spreading the gospel message for Jesus Christ. And where we're going today, as I mentioned, is about what is it going to take for us to keep our joy in Christ? And before we dive into that, and Teresa mentioned this in the transition a little bit, let's let's be honest, Tuesday's coming. Tuesday's coming, there's there's no more denying it, election season is here. And, And I'm not here to talk anymore about who you should vote for, who you shouldn't, you know, there's a lot of information, Pastor John gave a great video about biblical views that we need to point on, and, it, and honestly, I would encourage you, if you're still debating what to do, be in God's word and, and continue to pray. But I talk to you as just a human, all right? We're all humans in here, right? I don't think anyone else came from Mars, unless, whatever, anyways. But I'll be the first to admit, I've been dealing with fears and anxieties with the anticipation of what's coming up on Tuesday. You know, with voting, you know, yes, we have our vote and our vote does matter, but at the end of the day, Jesus Christ is sovereign. And we don't know what the outcome can be, and I'm not naive to think that, um, I'm not naive to, uh, to think that there's only one side of a political party. I know that many in here, you're either a Republican or Democrat, And I recognize whoever ends up winning this election, whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden, one side or the other is going to feel hurt. You're going to be upset. You're going to be angry. And how we respond as the church of Jesus Christ will dictate how we move forward. 
And so my hope and prayer is that all of us in keeping our joy, we recognize whether it's Donald Trump for another four years or if it's Joe Biden moving forward. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And there is no man, no woman more powerful than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So with that, let's start our lesson. (laughs) We are going to be in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 12, where it talks about being lights in the world. And as I said, we're going to talk about five different areas on how we can keep our joy and being lights in the world. If you are following on our app, uh, I do apologize. We did not update uh, the notes per se, what's on our app. So what I may have versus what was in there from John's may be similar, but also may be a little bit different as well. So let's go to God's word. Chapter 2 in Philippians, starting at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for every person that is here, whether they've been with us for quite some time or this is their first time here at Morning Star Fellowship. Holy Spirit, I I ask for your anointing this morning to uh, have your words come out and not mine, Lord Jesus. Father God, we pray for Ryan over at Pensburg and everyone at Pensburg, Lord God. I pray that you give Ryan the words that he needs to speak truth and love. And God, may we all have ears to hear and hearts to open to receiving your word, Lord God. We continue to pray over Pastor John as he's uh, dealing with the illness of shingles, Lord Jesus. I pray, we pray for a quick recovery, Lord God. We know that it could be painful with shingles, Lord, so we just pray on a touch of his body right now, Lord God, that that pain would go away, Lord Jesus, and that he would feel comfort. God, I pray, as I said earlier, that we have ears to hear and hearts to open to hearing your word today. And may we recognize that our joy is not found in the world. Our joy is not found in a man. Our joy is not found even in government. But our joy is found in you, Jesus Christ you and you alone. In your holy name I pray. Amen. All right, so there are five ways or five exercises in way we can keep our joy. And the first one starts with being obedient to God. First one is to being obedient to God. In verse 12 and 13, we, we read that Paul said, as you have always obeyed. Obeyed, obeyed, obeyed. And this word obeyed is in reference to not only being obedient to the ministry in Philippi, but it also means being obedient to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 5.9 says this, 
And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now you may be asking, what, what does it mean to obey? I'm glad you asked, because we're going we're gonna to answer that. Two ways we obey. Number one is that we hear and listen to the word of God attentively. We hear and listen to the word of God attentively. And I'm asking you this morning, not because I'm some great speaker or anything like that. It's only by God's grace I'm up here. If you are being distracted by a cell phone or something that's going on in in your uh, personal life or even distraction of fantasy football, I encourage you to turn it off. And let's hear God's word attentively for what it has to say. And the second way we obey is to heed or conform to the word of God. We are to heed or conform to the word of God. We are to heed the blessings that God gives us, but we're also to heed the warnings he gives us if we're being disobedient to him. And the other thing is we are to conform to what the word of God has to say. Too often, we would like to go into reading the Bible and having the Bible conform to us. Ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't work that way. God doesn't conform to us. We conform to the will of God and what his word has to say. And by being obedient, Paul is also saying that we should be working out our salvation. We should be working out our salvation. Now, what does this working out our salvation mean? Well, first of all, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you are saved by your works. We are saved by our grace and faith in Jesus Christ. However, we do need to work out our faith with him in fear and trembling, and this means that we actively pursue spiritual maturity. To be working out our salvation means to actively pursue spiritual maturity. I'll give you another example from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, and he says this, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And what Paul is talking about here in 15, if you read 1 Corinthians 15, he's giving the gospel message. He's talking about the early apostles, and then he talks about how he's being saved, and he talks about his former life, and he says, by the grace of God, he is now saved to be an apostle. So he's saying, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Notice that. He's saying, I worked harder than any of the other apostles. Anyways. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Listen, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people outside of Jesus, they look at Paul as this great leader, and the other apostles were great leaders as well, but we read the writings of Paul and we get so, how did Paul do this? And I think sometimes when we read about Paul or Moses or Abraham or any of the other biblical heroes, we think we can't be them. We, we think, oh, we can't have a life that's in pursuit of God, that we can't have a faith like them. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. The only difference is, are we choosing to be obedient to what God's word and what God has called us to do? Listen, Paul was a fanatic for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the moment I say that, or the moment someone says, we need to be fanatical for the gospel of Jesus Christ, like, "Mm, 
don't know about that. But yet, we praise superstars and, and football players for being fanatical, for working out, and throwing a ball to score a couple points. And we don't call them crazy. We, we pay them millions of dollars. But the moment we say, hey, let's get fanatical for the gospel message, let's preach God's word to see hearts change, I don't know about that. There are lives at stake in this community. And to being fanatical or being obedient to the word of God means that we need to sacrifice at times. We're, we're going to have to sacrifice our personal comfort, our personal wants and desires for what God has called us to do. You know, if it wasn't for John and Teresa, if they weren't obedient to come here to Quakertown, when people said, you can't build a church here, you're not going to have life here as a church, none of us would be here. If Ryan and Tiffany weren't obedient, who knows, they, wouldn't, they may not be our campus pastor over at Pennsburg. If Jonathan and Jennifer weren't obedient, they wouldn't have moved from North Carolina to here and doing an amazing job in teaching the next generation for Jesus Christ. What sacrifices are we willing to take for the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because whether you know it or not, people are hungry for the truth. People are hungry for the truth. You can see it. There are people who are angry and upset because they can't find the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth that people are looking for. <clears throat> Second way that we keep our joy is being a grateful servant and not a grumbling one. To be a grateful servant and not a grumbling one. And to grumble means to complain. Who's ever complained? All right. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's ways that we complain, you know, whether it's whining about the littlest things, you know, being a cynic and finding fault in everyone else but not taking personal responsibility, being a perfectionist at times. I think one of the greatest stories, if, if you've read your Bible, which I hope you do, I think one of the greatest stories that we see about grumbling and complaining is in the book of Exodus. How many has read the full book of Exodus with the story of Moses? Like, it's crazy. God calls Moses, hey, I want you to go into Egypt, save, save these people from Egypt, get them to, and have them come to the promised land. They leave Egypt, and they see all these miracles for, you know, with the signs that happen, and then... You know, they're at the Red Sea, and they're like, oh, what are we going to do? And Moses prays, and God parts the Red Sea. Woohoo! Cross the Red Sea. And then they start grumbling. Manna's coming from the sky, like, and you're grumbling about what's going on. They want to stone Moses. They want to kill him. And then they start grumbling and complaining because Moses is up on a mountain for 40 days talking to God, and they're like, Moses, where are you? Fine, you're going to be up the mountain? Fine, we'll just build a golden cat. What? All these miracles that God, and, we, and let's, let's be honest, we can act this way too. 
But Jesus actually gives us a warning as the church about when it comes to grumbling and, and the words that we speak. In Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 33. Matthew 12, starting at verse 33. And these are not my words, these are Jesus' words, all right? So if you have a problem with what I'm about to say, not me, it's Jesus, okay? <clears throat> Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Okay, so symbolism here, we're the tree. And we have a choice, either we're going to produce good fruit or bad fruit, okay? For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Let that one sink in for a second. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Whew. As I was reading through this and preparing yesterday, that one got me. That one got me that I'm going to have an account for every careless word that I've said because there are things, who's been there, you say something and the moment it's starting to come out, you're like, I should not be saying that. And you seek forgiveness and you see the hurt that takes place when those words come out of your mouth and, and it takes a while to maybe rebuild that trust or that foundation of that relationship of, of those words that have been spoken. And this, this just gave me another reminder of just how important our words are. We went through the book of James, and James talks about that the, the uh, tongue can either speak good or it can speak evil. We have a choice. This little thing that's in our mouth can hurt so many people or it can encourage so many people. And with this election coming up, you know, there's going to be, let's just be honest, we know there are going to be some people who are going to say some hurtful things. But as I said earlier, as the church of Jesus Christ, we should not fall victim and play into that game. Whatever happens, we are to view this not with a grumbling lens, but with a gospel lens. Listen, we read in the first chapter that Paul, listen, okay, I said this the first time I spoke, and I'm going to say it again. I still don't believe it. Paul wrote an encouraging letter when he's in jail. Can, can we let that sink in for a minute? You would think the church of Philippi would write a letter to him to encourage him. No, he writes a letter to the church of Philippi to encourage them. And in his letter, he says, oh, I'm chained up, and it's all for the glory of God. And then I look at myself and my life and what we have here in America, and I think, and this is just me talking, so you don't have to apply this to you, but I'm saying, how pathetic of me grumbling at things that I probably should stop complaining about. If we have a gospel mindset in the chaos of what's been 2020, we can look at this and say, there's an opportunity, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. And I know you can read the scriptures and we are foretold that many will fall away, but I want to say this. 
The word is many and not all. The word is many and not all, and we still have a responsibility as the church to preach Christ, whether people want to hear it or not. I'll end with that, with this aspect. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. Number three, let's have a clear conscience. Keeping our joy means we have a clear conscience. As the world continues to pursue the love of sin and evil over truth, we will be tempted to do the same. We'll be tempted to do the same with with everything that's going on. And here's how I know we're tempted to do the same, same thing. Facebook. You go on Facebook, you see someone write something you don't agree with, and you're in their comment, you're about to write a comment, you're going to hit send, and you're like, "Ah, is this glorifying to God? Okay. 1 Peter 2, verse 11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I love this because we have a responsibility, again, as the church, to live a life pleasing to God. We have a responsibility to live a life pleasing to God. And if we do anything as the church to hinder that, well, the world looks and like, well, what's changed? What's changed? What, what makes Christianity different than anything else that's in the world? And, and I say this, if you have a clear conscience, it means you're able to walk in freedom. It means you're able to walk in freedom and share with anyone anything about what's going on in your life. And my question for you today is, do you have a clear conscience? Do you have a clear conscience? And it starts at home. It starts with your husband and your wife. Listen, Rachel and I, we have uh, all our passwords. We, we know each other's passwords, and if we don't know something, we'll be like, oh, here, share it. So we know everything that's going on. So if I buy $100 worth of books, Rachel knows it. Which has happened before, I'm just saying. So she knows it. She knows everything that's going on. And the question is, can you have that same trust, that same openness in your own household? And then starting from your own household, moving forward, if anyone were to come in and grab your laptop, hey, can I look at your laptop? Yeah, sure. Or do you have to be careful and be like, uh, let me check because I don't know what website I was on beforehand. If we proclaim to be Christ followers, we are expected to be an influence on on all those who come in contact with us. Since Jesus Christ is the light of the world, we are to reflect his light. Since Jesus Christ is the light of the world, we are to reflect his light. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and give and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glory and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How can we be the light today? How can we be a light in our household? How can we be a light to anyone we come in contact with? You know the best way you can be a light right now? Just say hello. That, that will get people. How, who's, gone, who's gone shopping? Like you go shopping, you're going through the stores, and, and most of the time people wearing masks, you, you don't know if they're smiling behind or not, but one of the things you are noticing is that they're either looking down or they're lo- the moment they make eye contact with you, they're going away. Just say hi. That will brighten their day. You'll get a 10-minute conversation before you know it. You make a new friend. And if we're ambitious enough, maybe we'll have dinner with them and their spouse, have the opportunity to share the gospel and where our hope is. Listen, you can tell I'm really serious about us sharing the gospel message because we need to. We, we need to. In this community, in Pennsburg, in Coopersburg, in Richland Town, across any communities near us, we need to share the truth of the gospel message. That's why the church exists. We don't just come in here on a Sunday, clap our hands, worship well. Well, most of us, I don't sing very well. Um, and if you're, if you're doubting that, just go listen a couple weeks back. You'll find that out. But we come in here on a Sunday, clap our hands, we feel good, and we go out those doors, we feel good for like five, ten minutes, and then you get in an argument with your spouse, or your kids, or the person leaving the parking lot. Guys, it's not about just a feeling that we have on a Sunday, it is a duty and a responsibility to preach Christ every day. And I'm glad that we're getting this because, listen, I think too often, maybe not here, but I think in American culture, maybe for a chance, we look at the pastors like, oh, it's the pastor's job to preach Christ. It's the guy who's on stage or the gal on stage. They're the only ones that are supposed to preach Christ. I just go back to work. I go back to my school or back to home, and I don't have to talk about it. No. Our light is to shine in every aspect of our life, not just here on a Sunday. We should be coming in here on a Sunday rejoicing and giving thanks to the Lord for what we've done during the week and what he's done through us in spreading the gospel message. Sundays is never about us. The gospel message is never about us. It's always about Jesus Christ. Number four, To keep our joy in Christ means we are to read, memorize, and live out the Bible. We are to read, memorize, and live out the Bible. I want to turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to start at verse 9. Psalm 
Psalm 9, 119, starting at verse 9. And we're going to go to the 24th verse, so this is going to be a little lengthy. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent and accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. I love this because this should be our prayer every day. This should be our prayer when going into God's word. God, I want to fall more and more in love with your word. I want to fall more in love with who you are and what your word has to say. You know, as a Christian, we don't have to read this. We get to read this. We, We get to read God's word. It shouldn't be a homework assignment for us to be in God's word. And you may be like, well, Mike, I don't have all the time in the world to read God's word, but you have two hours to watch a football game. You have two hours to watch Fox News that's not giving you any positive information or CNN, whichever ones, I'm not biased, they're all negative news. But we can find all the time in the world to entertain ourselves, but yet we have a problem finding time to be in God's word. And it's just a mental switch. Actually, let me rephrase that. It's a heart change that needs to happen. It's a heart change that needs to happen. Are we willing to say, I'm willing to commit time to lead my family, to lead this community into the truth in God's word by being in God's word? You know, we can't be obedient to God if we don't know what his word says. We can't be strong disciples for the gospel of Jesus Christ if we don't know what his word says. So I would encourage you, even if you're like, I can't read, I don't, I, it's hard for me to read. Listen, I hated reading. I didn't start really reading until I was 22. I just skimmed through all the, the passages and the, the, the reading assignments I had to do in college. I didn't really read till I was 21, 22. You know how I fell in love with reading? How I really fell in love with God's word? Number one, I, I wanted a life change. I wanted a heart change. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And there's some of you in this room right now who are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I'm telling you, if you don't want to be sick anymore, be in God's word because he's the good doctor. And if you don't know how to start, where to start, just start with a verse. If It's got to be that simple. 
John chapter 1. Okay, Mike said start with the verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Done. Create that habit to be like, oh man, I, I can't wait to be in God's Word every single day. I want to say this, not to be mean to the men, but men, we need to step up. We need to step up in in leading our households and leading our communities for the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Too often we get suckered into uh, entertainment, or we've believed this lie that culture says that men are dumb. That the father is the bimbo idiot and we get help from the dog or the fish. I'm referencing The Simpsons, hopefully, and some other shows, if you didn't get that. But culture tries to bring men down, put men down, think that we're idiots, that we can't do anything right, that it's all about everyone else leading the charge. And then, listen, I'm not here to bash women. Women, there are great women leaders out there as well. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we need to stop bashing men from leading, and the men need to step up and lead their families. We have a personal responsibility. Listen, when I came to know Jesus Christ, I said I will, and I said this to Rachel, we are going to be the generation that breaks the sin curse from generation, generation, generation that has led our families before. We will not allow the sinful nature, from my family anyways, that came through for three or four generations, we will not live by that way. The Kubis family will live for the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it kills us. I hope you're ready, hon. <laughs> Number five, the way we keep our joy... <clears throat> is that we serve God by serving others. We serve God by serving others. Paul mentions, I just want to reread verse 17 here in 18. He, He says this again. He says, Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And, and if you're confused about this, you may be like, well, what's this drink offering that the Apostle Paul is talking about? Well, he's referencing back to Numbers 28, specifically verse 7. So I'd encourage you, if you can, uh, as a homework assignment or in your small groups that are taking place or your connect groups, to go back and read this. But in Numbers 28, verse 7, a drink offering is involved with pouring wine either onto the ground or an altar along with an animal or grain that is being sacrificed. Now the point of this is to illustrate a life poured out for the service of God. And so what Paul is saying that he has poured his life out to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he has given it his all for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Question here at Morningstar Fellowship in Quakertown. Have we given it all for serving for the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Have we given it all? Have we honestly given our best effort for the gospel message? Listen, Paul was beaten, 
stoned, shipwrecked, in jail numerous times. And he's got the character and nature to say, me being in jail is the advancement of the gospel message. And to serve God by serving others, you know, it can start small here in the church. If you are not serving in some capacity, I would ask you to pray, uh, to, uh, to pray about what you should, how you should be serving. Because we, listen, we did a phenomenal job here at Quakertown and Pennsburg for the light up the night with serving. And I'm thank, we are thankful for every person that served for both locations. It's time to step it up now. Whether it's here on Sundays with the kids, whether it's on Wednesdays with the students, whether it's serving as in a connect group, if you have a specific gift, it's time for you to use it. It's time for you to use it because, listen, time is short here. I have a goal, and I don't know if it's going to happen. I would love to live to 110, okay? You, can, you may think that's crazy. I don't know why 110 sounds good, good, good year to die at. I don't know. But 110 years of age is minimal compared to the rest of eternity. Minimal compared to the rest of eternity. What are we going to do in this short amount of time for the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus Christ? We need to get out there and serve. We need to be lights. We need to love on people, even if it just means starting with a simple conversation that leads to something more, something more, something more, something more. It's not about just adding to the kingdom of God. It's about multiplying to the kingdom of God. It's not about just us getting to heaven like, woohoo, I'm saved, I'm not going to hell. That's like, what, that's like my biggest fear, is that we get, not my biggest fear, my, my first biggest fear is that there's some people in here who think they're saved, but they're not. My second biggest fear is that we get too comfortable being disciples for Jesus Christ. That we're just like, ah, I'm good. If I get to heaven, that's great, but if no one else comes with me, it's okay. That's, that's not the commandment. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, go make disciples in all nations. That starts here. It starts in these areas. And I never want us to lose focus on what Christ has called for us. I never want to lose focus as citizens for heaven. But who are we bringing with us? Who's coming with us? And it starts with our families first. I know for some of you, you may be new Christians in here, or you've been a Christian for a while, and you have a mom, a dad, a sister, a brother, aunt, uncle, someone who has not given their life to Jesus Christ yet. Keep serving. Keep loving on them. Keep praying for them. Listen, i got a family who I want them to see Jesus Christ, to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I know a bunch of you in here too. Keep seeking. Keep praying. Keep serving. Let Christ do the work that he needs to do. So we're going to close here. And if the worship team wants to come up. You know, we, we talk about keeping our joy. And the, the last part here, I'm talking about serving God by serving others. While Paul is a good example of serving, like he shipwrecked, beaten, gone through so many things to serve people for the kingdom of God. There's someone greater than Paul. 
and his name is Jesus. There's a greater servant than Paul, and his name is Jesus Christ. He came down from his kingdom, from his heavenly throne to serve us. And as we read last week, he served us to death, even death on a cross. And maybe you're asking, well, why does Paul emphasize death on a cross? Because dying on a cross in that time was shameful. He was whipped. He had crowns on him. He had a crown on him. He had scars on him. And I know the portraits show that he wore a cloth, you know, in the, fit, in the photos and everything like that. But he was actually stripped naked on a cross. That's what history says. He was shamefully in public beaten for us. You know, like, well, why did he do that? Because he loves us. He saw our sinful nature and saw we cannot get to heaven on our own. There is no good work that we can do that will get us to heaven except believing and having faith in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. He's the greatest servant of all. He's the one who restores our hope. He's the one who restores our hearts. And I'm asking you this morning here today, if you are someone in here who does not have joy, you have felt far from God. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired. If you're sick and tired of just being stuck in the sins, the the habitual sins that are causing destruction in your life, I want to let you know right now that Jesus Christ died for those sins so you can be forgiven. And you may not understand it totally right now, but there's someone in here who in their hearts are like, I believe. I believe Believe, and maybe you're afraid to make that confession. I would encourage you today, don't be afraid to make that confession. Don't be afraid to step up boldly, whether it's here on the altar or having a conversation with someone else, saying, I am giving my life to Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid because he has a perfect plan. And he wants to see you be a part of that perfect plan for his kingdom, for his glory. I want to, let me end with this before we go to the worship song about being scared for obedience for Christ. I think about six months into when I dedicated my life to following Christ. And I was wrestling, I'll be honest, I was wrestling with going back to who I wanted to be in my past versus continuing to follow the path for Christ. And I remember going to a church service and the pastor, you know, we're worshiping and, and the pastor comes up and he says, hey, there's some of you who are really struggling right now. We want you to come to the altar. We want to pray for you. And I knew that I was struggling and I said, no way. I am not going up there on the altar. No way. And I'm gripping a pew. Like I'm holding on to the pew. I'm not getting up there. Some people start going up on the altar and, and the pastor's like, oh, we want more. There's more people that need to come. come. And I'm like, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. Somehow I got up there. I don't know. Even though I was scared, I was obedient in knowing that I needed to be up there at the altar. And they prayed for all of us that were hurting and struggling with different things. And that night, after sleeping for so many times, I... I woke up to a verse in my mind that I've never read. 
It was in the book of Jeremiah, and I'm like, is there even a book of Jeremiah? And is there even 29 chapters? And then I got to verse 7, and it said, Jeremiah 29, verse 7, it says, Seek the welfare of the city that you have been deported to. Pray for it on its behalf, for when you have prosperity, or for when it has prosperity, you will be prosperous. I had no idea what that meant, but I knew it was important, so I wrote it down, and I have that still in our room today. God was trying to show me there, me personally, was that you be obedient to me. There's a calling that I need you to do. There's a way I need you to step out of your comfort zone, come into the water like he called Peter to do. I'm asking us here in Quakertown today to step out of our comfort zones, to be obedient to what Christ has called us to do, whatever that may look like. I, for everyone that's going to look different. I know you're scared. I know you may have anxiety, you have fears, especially when, what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. But let's step out in faith, trusting that Jesus Christ is sovereign over it all. Whatever may happen, we'll give him the glory and honor and all the praise. Heavenly Father, it's only by your grace alone that we're here, Lord Jesus. It's only by your love that we uh, are able to do what we're doing here in Quakertown and Pennsburg and the surrounding communities, Lord. God, I pray today that for first off, if there's anyone in here who has been struggling to be obedient, struggling to keeping their joy for you, for you, Lord God, I pray that anything that we've talked about today, about whether it's being obedient to you more, Lord God, whether it's being in your word more, Lord God, whether it means serving others, whether it means focusing on the gospel message being proclaimed, focusing as citizens of heaven, whatever it may be, Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, that we look at ourselves and say, what needs to change? Maybe there's someone in here today that the change needs to start by surrendering their life to you. Holy Spirit, I pray that someone in here makes that commitment, that they're not afraid, no matter even if they don't quite understand, that they know that they need to change, not by themselves, but by the transformation of the Holy Spirit, Lord God. I pray that there's someone in here who comes to a born-again salvation. Well, they will give their lives up for you, even if it costs them their life, Lord God. And for us who have been following you for a while, Lord God, I pray that we check ourselves and say, am I getting too comfortable? Am I getting too comfortable And if we are, Holy Spirit, I pray that you show us the next step that we need to take. Stepping out so we no longer live in the comfort of the beaches, but that we get out into the water. God, we want to see a mighty change for you, no matter the season that's going on. Just listening to a worship song earlier, it said that you are the Alpha, you are the Omega, you write our stories, and even though seasons change, God, you never change. 
You never change. You are with us. You are guiding us, not for our glory, but for your glory, for your perfect plan, for Jesus' coming to save those who put their trust in him. So as we go into this time of worship, as we prepare our hearts for communion, Lord God, I pray that we seek forgiveness for those that we need to seek forgiveness from. Maybe it even starts with you, Lord God. Maybe we've been grumbling to you too much, Lord God. Maybe we've had a grumbling lens with the chaos instead of having a gospel, mess, gospel lens. Let us prepare our hearts now for communion and we give you thanks in showing you through communion for what you've done on the cross for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Focus your eyes on Jesus and what he can do in your life today.
as followers of Christ, we take communion as a remembrance for what Jesus Christ did for us. What he did for us, he gave up his life for us so that we may have eternal life with him. And on the night before he was betrayed, he was surrounded with his apostles and with his disciples. And he took bread and he said, this is my body which will be broken for you and for many. He says, do this in remembrance of me. By us getting ready to take part in the bread, we're doing this in remembrance of what Christ did for us. That his body was beaten, scourged, ripped apart. So that we can have a new life. so that we, our hearts can be restored. There's no greater love than what Christ has done for us. And I'm sorry, I, I, I'm sorry that I'm emotional about this, but every time we do this, I think and remember of what we read and what he has done. And I am so thankful as a sinner, as a sinner for what Jesus Christ has done for us. It is only by His grace that I am saved, that you are saved if you've put your faith in Him. Let's see. After taking the bread, Jesus passed the cup and he said, this is my blood that will be shed for you and for many. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And that blood washed away, that's the forgiveness of our sin. His blood washes away our sin. His blood is what enters in through our hearts and those cracks that are, we're trying to fill from the world and, and drugs or, or lust or anything that we try to fill the world in. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that we are filled. So Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you gave, the spilling of your blood for us. Let us drink in remembrance of what he's done. Heavenly Father, as we leave here this morning, Lord God, let us not leave here just on a feeling, but let us leave here on a conviction, Lord God. Let us walk out of your house, Jesus, that we can go out into the communities, whether it's at work, in our schools, wherever we're called, Lord God, that we can spread the light of your gospel message, Lord God. Let us serve those that we come in contact with. Let us love on those that you've called us to love on, Lord God. And may we fall more and more in love with you and what your word has to say. And there's nothing that we can boast about that we have done, but that we come back next week boasting in everything that you have done through us, Lord Jesus. I thank you and I praise you. And all of God's people said, amen. God bless you guys.
Because where there is new wine, just sing it out. Because where there is new wine, there is new